0: back in 2018 i brought a vision message to the church and i said to the church i have this profound sense that god is going to require of us this year this is back in 2018 a greater demand on the gifts and the calling on each of our lives on each of your lives and so i asked god for a word for that year and The word for 2018 was activate, and we got fridge magnets made up with the word activate and Ephesians 2.10 underneath it. Um, As you're aware, um, for three weeks now, I have brought a vision message based around our vision and our mission, and um, whilst we were at conference two weeks ago, man, time's going so fast, Um, I just felt so stirred as I reflected on that three weeks of teaching, um, I came to a place where I felt that I had to be compelled, I felt so compelled that I need to dig into purpose a little deeper, but from a different angle. I think we can all agree that without God, who gives us life, humanity would not exist. Yeah, all believers? Good, okay, we're in agreement there. Without Jesus, who gives us hope, had he not paid the price for our sin through his death on the cross, then we would still be woefully stuck in sin. Can we agree with that? Okay, good. Good. Unfortunately, where the agreement starts to go a little bit, uh, um, is when we get to purpose. And if we get really honest and we dig really deep on purpose, we realize that when we start talking about purpose, the responsibility shifts to, everyone say, the responsibility shifts to us. We've actually got something to do. And questions start, and inertia builds. Now, if you've done physics, you realize that if you try and shift a rock, to to, to get it from woe to go, you have to get it uh, past inertia. Well, here's another meaning of inertia. A tendency to do nothing or to remain unchanged. I've often wondered about the fact that the human body is over 70% water. And if you look at the characteristic of water, it finds the lowest place and the path of least resistance. Is it any wonder we resemble a lettuce? You realize that we actually have very similar DNA to a pumpkin? Answers a lot of questions. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I'm included in that. I'm included in that. I'll own my pumpkin. And on Monday, I actually impersonate a really good cabbage. But I've been reading a book recently called The Practice of the Presence of God um, that was written. Actually, it was first written. The first edition was written in the 1600s. And it's a transcription of letters and interviews with a Carmelite monk by the name of Brother Andrew. Here are a couple of challenging out of many challenging phrase passages in the book. We should establish ourselves in a sense of God's presence by continually communing with Him. It is shameful to abandon this divine communion to occupy our minds with trivial matters. We should feed and nourish our souls with high thoughts of God, which yield us great joy and devotion to Him. It is regrettable that we have so little faith. Instead of living in faith daily, get this, Church, people amuse themselves with religious devotions which are changing continually. Next challenging passage. In order to form a habit of communing with God continually and committing everything we do to Him, we must first make a special effort. Inisha After a while, we find that His love inwardly inspires us to do all things for Him effortlessly. The spiritual life is neither an art Or a science. To arrive at union with God, all one needs is a heart resolutely determined to apply itself to nothing but Him. Do nothing but for His sake and to love Him only. This gentleman was not a great theologian, he was not a a great priest, he was a monk, and for his entire monking, He served in the kitchen and the garden of the monastery. He held no office. He held no title. He held no position of fame or notoriety. Yet he would get more visitors than even the chief priest of the monastery. Why? Because people wanted to know what he had. What he had was a continual presence of, with, through, and because of God. You may have heard it said that passion is the oxygen of the soul. I would like to add this morning that faith is the oxygen to the spirit. However, faith is more than just a mere mental inspiration. Faith is an application. It's an outworking. It's a response leading to an action. It is a walk of faith. The scriptures teach us we walk by faith. We don't wait by faith. Well, we kind of do sometimes. We need to wait on God, but even waiting is an active waiting. Are there any active relaxers in the house? You know what I'm talking about if you're an active relaxer. Absolutely, someone said, good, own it, walk. Faith is an obedient step into God, and the appropriate response is the title to this message this morning. Faith is spelt yes. Let's pray. Father God, our Lord know that you are calling on us. You have put a calling in us and you are calling on that calling. You have given us gifts. Yes, they do bless us, but you have given them to us as a blessing that we might bless others. The very foundation of this was established through Abraham when you said you will be blessed to be a blessing. God, I ask that by your spirit, what you have burned into my soul, into my spirit for the last few weeks as I've dreamt on this and thought about this. I'll bring the words, Holy Spirit, you bring the power. Or if that's not going to work, then take me out and you just bring it. Either way, Lord, would you plant it in our spirit today in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 from the Passion Translation Bible says this, This is uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the Colossians. Put your heart and soul into every activity you do as though you are doing it for the Lord himself and not merely for others. In this verse, the Apostle Paul is encouraging the people in Colossae, the people of the Colossian church, to do everything with passion and enthusiasm, not for others, but for God. See, passion is what initially drives us and energizes us. It's a motivating boost to action. It's the force that gets us out of bed in the morning. Passion is the thing that gets us over the inertia. For those of you who like uh, space and rockets and jet engines and things like this, kindred spirit, thank you, Jesus. Passion are the two external booster rockets on the fuel pod that lift the space shuttle off the ground. You've got the space shuttle attached to this great big whale of a central fuel pod, and then you've got two booster rockets on the side. Those two booster rockets, that's passion one and passion two. They burn hard, and they burn hot, and they burn short. They get it off, over through inertia, off the ground, into the stratosphere, and then they burn out, and they're jettisoned. That's passion. But faith... Faith is what keeps us focused to do our best. Faith gives us the fuel that we need to overcome obstacles and challenges. Faith is what enables us to rebound from disappointment or failure. Faith is what enables us to fulfill our God-given purpose. And faith is pregnant with optimism and belief. Passion will burn hard and hot, but it'll burn out faith burns long and full. Hebrews chapter 11 is the great faith chapter in the New Testament, and I encourage you to go and soak in it over the next few days. But verse 1 in Hebrews 11 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We can step into something with an absolute knowing. I remember as a young Christian growing up, one of the one of, my, one of my pastors at the time, he would go, I know in my Noah. Do you know in your Noah? And he wasn't talking about the guy who built the ark. I know in my Noah that God has said it and it will be. That's faith. Faith to be able to see what we have not yet seen. You see, passion gets us going, faith keeps us going. Like the, the title of this message, Faith is Spelt Yes. Honestly, in the Bible, there are, there are more examples than I have time to unpack. So for your sake, um, I'd like to unpack them all, but I'm not going to. We're just going to look at a select few. But as we unpack this, I want to show you that faith is not just some, it's not sparkles and unicorns, okay? It's, it's, it's not continual sunrises or sunsets with sloping palms on a Rarotongan beach, although that does sound lovely. Faith actually is a deep requirement. Faith will challenge us. Faith will stretch us. In my, in my engineering training, I, I dealt with metallurgy and metals, and we had two stages when you are forming metal. There is the elastic limit. The metal has an elastic limit. So you can fold it or you can form it to its elastic limit, and it will bounce back. But if you form it past its elastic limit, you get into its plastic limit. And that's where it forms and it holds. And if you go too far, it will form and snap, depending on the different grade of metal. But faith will take you beyond your elastic, and it will shape you to your plastic. Here's the first one, Abraham. Genesis 12, verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Now, consider Abraham, who we know becomes Abraham. Consider what he had before him. He was from the city of Ur, which was in the the region of the Chaldeans, which today is Iraq. So the city of Ur was about 140 miles, about 225 k's away from Babylon, And this nation, not just this city, but this nation was an idol-worshipping nation. In actual fact, when you get into the theology, you'll find that Abraham's father, Terah, or Terah, was a moon worshipper. And Abraham hears the voice of a god. Because you've got to remember, in that nation, there were gods, plural, all with little g's. He hears the voice of the big G. And this is what God asks him. I want you to leave your homeland. I want you to leave your relatives. I want you to leave your farno. I want you to leave your father's family. I want you to leave your generational form of faith and worship. And I want you to go to a land that you've never been to. You don't even know where it is because I'm going to show it to you. Who's ready to pack their bags? who's ready to go to the airport and buy a ticket and get God to print the destination on the ticket. What did he base that on? Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. Confidence is what we hope for, assurance of what we've not yet seen. And you know what? He did it. And God says, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. He's like, I got no kids. Read the story. God's response to Abraham's faith And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Abraham said yes. Let's jump forward a few more decades, and let's look at the story of Moses. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 24 says this of Moses, Faith enabled Moses to choose God's will. For although he was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he refused to make that his identity. Consider this. Moses' mum and dad defied the Pharaoh's decree to allow their son to be murdered. So they wove a basket of papyrus reed. They tarred it. They put him in it and they floated it on the river. A river that was known to be full of crocodiles. I think as a dad, I'd be going, honey, uh, are you sure about this? (laughs) Um, We know the story. He cries. Pharaoh's daughter is down at the river bathing. She hears the baby crying, sends one of her servant girls, finds the baby. Moses' sister happens to be watching him, runs over and goes, would you like me to get a nurse for the baby? Mom! (laughs) Mom, got a job! But, you know, moving along... He's raised, he is the grandson, the adopted grandson grandson of Ramses I. He's raised, educated, trained, established in the highest family in Egyptian times. Yet he chose not to make that his identity. Then he makes this massive mistake in judgment and he kills an Egyptian. Because the Egyptians are abusing a Hebrew. Then the Hebrews turn on him. What are you going to do? Are you going to kill us as well? Pharaoh finds out he flees, ends up in the desert, gets, meets, meets a Midianite tribe, marries. He ends up being a shepherd for his father-in-law. He's on the side of a mountain, and God calls. Want to understand how he calls? Read the story about the burning bush. But God says, I want you to go back. So consider what God has presented Moses. He's a fugitive returning to the land of his crime. He's a fugitive returning to the family that he turned his back on. Oh, who just happens to be the royal family. He's going back to front up, not to his adopted grandfather, but he's going back to front up to his half-brother, Ramses II. And he's going to say, bro, God wants all the Israelites. Oh, by the way, that's about 90% of your labor pool. You have to set them free. If that's not enough, he's not even sure that the Hebrews, the Israelites are going to accept him. He actually asks God, how do I convince them that you sent me? They're not going to believe me. They've been in slavery 400 years. Oh, and if that's not enough, he's now 80 years old. He has a stutter or a stammer, stammer, not too sure which, he has difficulty speaking, and he is racked with insecurity. God goes, perfect. Hebrews 11, verse 27. Holding faith's promise, Moses abandoned Egypt and had no fear of Pharaoh's rage, because he persisted in faith as he had seen God who was unseen. So, we know the story, he goes back to Egypt, he convinces the Hebrews that God has sent him, God brings all sorts of judgments, and that's a whole other teaching series. They leave Egypt, and then all of a sudden, there's the Red Sea, they're camping, and Pharaoh has an aha moment and went, I'm sunk, the nation's going to go broke. Actually, the nation was broke because they gave the Hebrews all the gold. It's like 400 years worth of back pay, who would like that? generational back pay, come on, thank you Jesus. And then Pharaoh has this moment, I'm going to go and get them back. So they're stuck between the sea and an insanely raged, enraged Pharaoh and his entire elite army careering down on them. And suddenly all the Hebrews are going, why to the one man who was obedient to God? Who wants to sign up for that? Exodus 14, let's read verses 13 and 14. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. You go back and study Egyptology and Egyptian history, you will find literally in Egyptian history, there is a corridor of time where the entire nation of Egypt was Christian without an armed force. Never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. (laughs) Be calm and carry on. (laughs) Verse 21, 22. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up the path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. How many of us have trouble standing, holding our hands up for two songs? Moses had to stand with his hands raised all night so the sea could be parted and the ground could be dry. Who wants to sign up for that? Moses said yes. Okay, let's leap into the New Testament, Mary. Luke chapter 1, verses 26, 28, and then 30 and 31. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. <laughs> it's just minding her own business, probably in the vegetable garden. And suddenly, boom, he who stands beside the throne of heaven comes and says, Hey, how you doing? <laughs> God likes you. Think that would mess your day up? Verse 30. This is what he says. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. And there's an exclamation mark there. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. So we know the story. It's a globally famous story. Even unbelievers know this story. Mary, who was betrothed to Joseph, not yet married. Today, we would say she was engaged. Consider this. She was probably somewhere between 14 and 16 years old, which was culturally okay back then for girls that age to get married or betrothed. But here's this. Her family, she was of the priestly line. Like Her lineage goes, went all the way back to Aaron, the first priest that God appointed. Her betrothed, Joseph, was of the line of king david aaron david today they would be will and kate this couple like they're the power couple of the village the line of aaron and the line of king david you need to get married you rock a betrothed virgin virgin not virgin virgin now pregnant Could you get any more scandalous? And not only that, the daughter of a priest of a priestly line, now pregnant. The potential shame, the potential ostracization, and the potential of death by stoning. The Bible actually says that Mary was confused and disturbed. You think? (laughs) She literally asked the angel to explain to her, just kind of Can you just unpack this a little bit for me? How's this actually going to happen? I may be young, but I do understand biology. (laughs) Gabriel says the power of God. He explains that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and she would conceive. And I have never, ever ceased to be challenged. Every time I read this, I just about lose it because it was like, God, Could I have this level of faith? Mary's response. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Mary said yes. One more. Peter. Oh, Peter. Man, I identify with him. I reckon when I get, to get, when I get to heaven, Peter and I are going to go and have a cup of God ale. And uh, we're going to sit down and we're not going to compare scars, we're going to compare mistakes. <laughs> and I reckon we're going to laugh our heads off and end up weeping because of the incredible grace of God. We all know that Peter had a very up and down time in his early years in his faith. If you are young in your faith, if you are middle-aged in your faith, not your genealogical, biological age, but in your faith, or if you're old in your faith, I want you to understand something. It's going to be up and down. That's okay. Because Peter was up and down, and guess who he hung out with? Oh, Jesus. (laughs) And there was this time when Peter encountered Jesus in the line of his first profession and that of a fisherman. And this story has continued to challenge me personally and deeply. And in actual fact, it has been a phrase that both Suzanne and I have used through our entire faith journey of leading this church. Let me read to you Luke 5, verses 3 to the first part of verse 5. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper, let down your nets and catch some fish. We know the story. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. So let's put ourselves in the story. Let's picture this. Jesus is walking along the beach. And I mean, I, I, I kind of picture Jesus. This is, this is where my brain goes, okay? Land, water, Jesus, Because there are so many people here, he's got nowhere to go, and they all want a piece of him, they all want to touch him, because they all want to be healed, and they want to be fed. And and Jesus is like, this is not working. Now, it wasn't the right time for him just to step off the beach and stay standing on the water. (laughs) He could have done it. That would have been awesome. But what he does is he commandeers a fishing boat. And then he turns that fishing boat into a speaking platform. So Peter, let's picture this. This is Jesus. Peter's just come in. He has been working his tail off all night. He's exhausted. He's tired. He's grumpy because Peter was grumpy. He'd caught nothing. He's got, I've got nothing to take to market. He pulls into the beach and there's more people than you can count. Great. Fantastic. Just what I need. A noisy bunch of people to get in my face. I've got nothing to sell you. Go away. And whilst he's dealing with his attitude, suddenly a rabbi steps into his boat and goes, can you just push off a little bit because I need to talk to these people. And he's like, I can't even go and have a coffee. I can't even get out of the boat. I can imagine, I put myself in there, I'm thinking, I think my grumpy level would be going, yeah, the the, the meter. The rabbi finishes speaking. Jesus finishes speaking. And then he turns around to Peter and he goes, go deeper. See where I'm going with this? (laughs) Go deeper. Here's a rabbi telling a professional fisherman to go deeper and how and where to catch fish. I'll be thinking, okay, my grumpo meter would be going bing, 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 bing by now. I know where the fish are. Okay, I didn't get any last night, but I know where the fish are. Okay? You're a teacher. Do your job. I'll do mine. Go away. <laughs> Peter's response. Peter's response is amazing. This is what he says. But if you say so, but if you say so, I will let the nets down again. Verse 6, and this time the nets were so full of fish they began to tear. Peter said yes. Another translation says this, Peter's response to Jesus was nevertheless at your word. So what has this got to do with purpose? What has this got to do with us, our faith? Here's the challenge. Have I, have we become so comfortable with where things are at in our life where things are at in our faith, where things are at in our understanding of God, have we become so comfortable that we're just going, no, speak to the hand? Have I, have you, have we, get this, in our comfort, limited our lives through that comfort? Have Or have we limited our lives through our discomfort? It goes both ways. Oh, no, no, I, 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 can't, I, I can't do that. No, don't ask me to lead a connect group. No, don't ask me to walk one-on-one with someone to disciple them. I just don't know enough about Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Yes, that's enough. What's your story? How did you meet Jesus? How do you stay connected with Jesus? That's enough. Here's the challenge, number one. Will I, and these are taken directly from the four that I've just spoken to you about. Will I believe the Lord and give the Lord a reason to call me righteous because of my faith? Will I, in faith, choose God's will, stepping out in spite of fear, because I will persist in faith as I had seen God who was unseen? Abraham, Moses. Will I say to God, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Will I go deeper? Will I put my heart and soul into every activity I do as though I am doing it for the Lord himself and not merely for others? Will I say yes?